Welcome to Behind the Tools. Here's Tradeify CEO and your host, Michael Steckler. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Tools. Um, different guest this week, uh, someone that uh, works with trades, uh, looking at the apprentices side of things and hiring. I'm delighted to have uh, Kent Willis join us. Kent, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate you having me along. No, you're welcome. And Kent, you run uh, Apprentice Recruit, which I guess does what it says on the tin. Do you want to maybe talk about um, what the company does and, and how you got started? Yeah, sure, sure. So company's been in existence now for about uh, just over seven years, just had our anniversary uh, about two months ago. And uh, thank you. Thank you. And look, it started, uh, I've been in the recruitment industry for nearly 25 years. And then I took a sabbatical for about five years and worked in the training space and um, mainly around the business development side of a couple of right. training organizations in Brisbane. And it was when I was working for those guys that um, our sales team were out there selling the training for apprentices uh, and our clients kept coming back to us saying, well, um, we need to find a good one. Can you help? And we just didn't have the resources. Happened time and time again. So when I stepped away from that company, I thought I will back into the recruitment space. And uh, that's how the, uh, the brand was born. Fantastic. And where, where are you generally finding people? How do you source candidates? Uh, look, we've got a range of different uh, places that we go to, but we use your uh, traditional job boards. Uh, so yeah. there's about probably, I think at the moment, there's around 19 different platforms that we use to advertise across and to then screen talent. Uh, we have obviously word of mouth uh, from within industry. Uh, we also link in with uh, some of the industry liaison officers within some of the schools. Um, also, some of the uh, tapes and the private training providers. Again, we're linking right. with those guys as well. Yeah, especially for their pre-voc courses. And, you, and your customers, so the people that are generally looking for apprentices. I mean, presumably it's predominantly sort of construction industry as a, a generic phrase. But who is? What does the average customer look like? Uh, look, yeah, construction uh, accounts for about eighty percent of what we do. Um, yeah. And most of our clients are anywhere between sort of one to sort of six man operators. Um, right. And that's our typical sort of avatar. Um, and we've got some at the moment, uh, both in Sydney and also here in Brisbane, where they're up around that sort of 50 to 60 staff members. But yeah. typically, most of our, our companies are micros. I call them your sort of mum and dad type trade businesses, um, yeah. where they are quite small. And we really targeted those guys when we first kicked off, because they're the ones that really need help, to be perfectly honest. So yeah. uh, that's why we decided to go down that path. And what's the general general reason? I mean, it's an obvious question, but I think sometimes apprentices are brought on board for different reasons. And there's probably occasionally sort of some... Um, education need I think in terms of what what actually is required and what, what they need to do when someone gets in touch with you and they're, and they're desperately looking for an apprentice what are they looking for exactly in terms of why they want to bring that person on uh, I think a lot of times they realize that they they need another pair of hands uh, they also realize that they need a bit of a succession plan as far as continuing their business in the future uh, especially at the moment with um, such a shortage in trades uh, here in Australia they yeah. are starting to identify now that they can't find skilled workers. So they're really having to go back to the grassroots of actually training them themselves. Uh, and that's a real driver at the moment uh, is bringing, I suppose, a lot of new blood into the, uh, into the system uh, because they realise that um, in another 5, 10, 15 years, if they don't continue to do that, then um, yeah. there will be no skilled trades. Yeah, Simple that's that. it. Yeah, so and it's not just an Australian problem. It seems to be a worldwide problem in terms Global. of the gap. Yeah. Um, yeah, gap in terms of workers coming through, and so yeah. that it, it makes perfect sense. And is there sometimes some reticence because the amount of effort required to bring someone in and train them, as well as you know, especially if you're if you're sort of one to six person business, does that yep. do you often get that pushback? There, look, there can be. Uh, there is obviously a bit of paperwork involved. There's a bit of downtime as far as the apprentice with their training is involved. 
So uh, it's not, uh, it's, I suppose it's not always the ideal scenario for especially small yeah. businesses and, and losing their apprentice for a period of time. And again, having to go through that paperwork, but it's a bit of a necessary evil. I think it's one of these things that it ultimately it has to be done. Um, and look, most of the companies that we talk to, uh, we're either at their prospecting so we can see that they're actively looking for an apprentice themselves, or if yeah. they obviously if they come actively seeking us, we know that they are at least aware of what they're going to go through in the system. And um, they've realized that they've just got to suck it up, move on and, and actually get on with it and do it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And any other big challenges that you see that trades companies have with, with, I guess, sourcing and then bringing in and bringing on board an apprentice? Look, I think the biggest thing right now is that lack of talent pool. Right. Uh, we've, we've never seen the market as it is now. And as I mentioned um, this time around, it's sort of seven years in industry specifically recruiting in this area. Uh, and I suppose to give you a bit of an idea on some statistics, if we go back three years ago, you know, if we put a position up for a typical apprentice carpenter, we'd have on average around about 100 to 150 applications minimum per job. Yeah. Now we put up the same job and we're getting around 20. Like wow. this, uh, it's Quite a massive decrease. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. And, and it, unfortunately, it's only getting worse. So uh, that, that talent pool and especially um, the junior category, because a lot of our clients, they generally prefer to go for the junior, get somebody out of school, yeah. get them started in industry. They're green, they're fresh, they're, they're enthusiastic. Um, and um, those particular candidates at the moment, are, uh, they're the unicorn. They're the ones that um, they're particularly hard to find. Uh, but in saying that, what that's doing is it's actually opening up a fresh market for mature age apprentices, where right. if I go back three years ago, that would be about probably 10% of the market that we would be looking for. Uh, whereas now we place more mature age apprentices this year than we ever have. So in probably more than we've done in the last seven years. And where are the, in terms of the, the sort of missing um, numbers from, from three years ago, that huge group of people that used to apply, what are they doing instead? Where are they going? <laughs> that's the million dollar question. Look, I actually did a podcast myself going back probably three or four months ago, and it was uh, based around the state of recruitment in 2022. And some of the things that I identified as uh, maybe changes, and these are things that really didn't exist going back three years ago, uh, things like TikTok, um, yeah, you've got yeah. uh, your um, OnlyFans, uh, YouTube, um, as well as you know DoorDash, Amazon Delivery, Uber, Didi, all those sort of companies where going back a number of years ago, they weren't as prevalent. Um, right. And and what they, I think, offer is, I suppose, maybe flexibility. And also, you look at things like TikTok, you know, somebody can pick up a phone these days, do stupid acts and get paid quite good money for it. And I think there's a lot out there that are maybe in that younger category where that's where they're focusing their attention these days. Um, and obviously, during COVID too, I think the government, um, the uh, payments that the government were putting out were highly inflated on what they were used to earning as an apprentice right. or as a junior. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, that's probably driven a number of people away and the skill shortage in general, like they can go and get a position as a laborer and get paid 25, 30, 35 an hour as a laborer. Um, so why would they take up a position where they're getting paid $15 an hour as an apprentice? So there's a, there's a lot of, I yeah, suppose, moving factors. Yeah. And is there, is there a better story that needs to be told by the industry about, you know, you start as an apprentice, I guess it's, if I was doing a comparison, it's probably not, not a fair comparison entirely, but you know, it's like starting as a doctor or a lawyer, those types of roles where often you don't get paid very well for the first few years, yep. but you're leading up to potentially having your own trades business and doing, doing really well. Is that, is that, do you think there's more to be done as an industry to, to shift that, that perception that, Hey, I'll make a better buck here at a tech company or whatever else that might be. Yeah. Look, I think, 
there is, I think, both industry driven, but also driven through education, through the schooling system as well. Yeah. Because there does seem to be that push, and that has been for a number of years. It's not new news, but there, there's a lot of uh, push towards um, getting um, higher educational qualifications, university studies, etc. Um, but there's not a focus put on, well, you know, you do realize you're going to step out there with a hex debt that's going to be worth, you know, $100,000 or 150 grand. Um, and you're still only going to be earning less than what a trade is going to earn anyway when you first kick off in industry. So, and right. I think uh, part of, I think what the industry needs to focus on is the career pathway. So not only where they start as an apprentice and the fact that they'll go in and they'll get their trade, but where they can end up, I think is right. the biggest area where um, there can be focus as far as just because you make a choice now to you know become a carpenter, for instance, doesn't mean that that's going to be it for the rest of your life. They're yeah. going to have um, changes in their career and progression in their career where um, it'll look completely different in the next 15 to 20 years than what it does now. Um, and I think that's probably where there needs to be a strong focus to show that it's not all about what you're going to be doing today, but what that will look like in the future as well. Like in the future, yeah. And do you, yeah. and do you do you cover a lot of that? And do you find yourselves having to do quite a bit of that that heavy lifting when you're attracting candidates? Are you more dealing with people that have already kind of decided they want to go down the apprenticeship path? Most that we deal with have already decided. So we yeah. get a number of inquiries from people where they're looking to step into the industry and they don't know how, uh, they don't know where to go, or they don't even know what trade to do. Um, because the, the, we start our conversations off with, so why have you chosen this specific trade? Right. Uh, otherwise, if, they, if they're just like, well, I just want a trade, then they're what we call a flight risk with our clients, where yeah. you know I wanted to be a roofer, but I didn't realize that it's 50 degrees in summer and yeah. um, they, they smoke bomb at Smoko and we lose them. And we, we also right. burn clients. So we try and get it so that they make that decision before they come to us um, to, as to what trade it is specifically that they're looking for. And if they're not sure, then we'll refer them through to training organizations where they might do a try trade day or they may right. do a certificate one in construction or something on those lines where they can at least get a bit of exposure to industry. And they've also then got some other stakeholders in the industry that are also able to assist in uh, getting work placement and then potentially right. giving them a job as well. Yeah, and that's, that's, really, that's a really good point I think you made there about, you know, whether it's the hours, you know, hey, I didn't realize I'd be up at 6.30 in the morning in the winter out on a like you said on a roof or on a building site whatever that looks like that sometimes i think people when they they want a job say yes 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 I, I, i'm happy with all those things and they do a week of it and suddenly realize they're not um and it's worth qualifying yourself out before doing that and then yep. you know there is this huge demand for you know talent and people and there's obviously a huge shortage and certainly that number is quite alarming you said versus three years ago how do you approach sort of advertising and if i if a trade if i'm a trade company listing if i'm an electrician plumber landscaper listens to this podcast and i'm sort of one to five people and i desperately want to hire an apprentice yep. how should i think about attracting them what's the right because you have a limited amount of space in an ad we need to get job you boards do. and those types of things to kind of get people over how do you approach that I, I think you've got to be um a little bit more creative but i think the biggest thing that i picked up over the last sort of six to eight months i've done so many webinars with indeed and seek and a range of other um, stakeholders out there that are in the recruitment space and uh, the biggest thing is transparency. So right. letting people know who you are and also uh, what the rates are that you're also willing to pay uh, because people know. And I believe Seek was uh, right. quoting some statistics to say that if you put uh, your company details and also um, the rate of pay on there, then it's 75% more likely to click through the ad and then apply than if you don't. So, and we do that with all of our clients wow. now. 
Yeah. So yeah, yeah, we do we do a lot of client branding uh, now that we never used to do. Uh, we used to whitelist what we call whitelist a lot of our jobs so that they didn't know who the client was. Now all the ads that we have out there have all got our client details on them, so that they know who the company are. Um, and uh, and it's also being uh, I suppose creative in your in your content as far as even your job title. Um, so we use an example was looking for an apprentice plasterer, which nobody ever applies for. Um, but again, in the industry, they can actually earn quite good money. And yeah. so uh, we, we put up there, don't want to be a chippy, be a plasterer instead. Something that, that was the actual job title. And uh, we right, found right. that, you know, something as simple as that, we actually got more traction through a simple um, brief like that at the, as the right. uh, title than just putting up apprentice plasterer. Because if we put that wow. up, then the chances of getting applications through were two parts of none, um, and yes. uh, and so yeah, so we got more traction. So, and again, we we put ads up for qualified tradies because we also do qualified uh, trades as well, and um, which that's that's come about since um, since COVID. Um, yeah. So we we branched out not just in the apprenticeship market now, but you know we'll actually put up there you know qualified uh, fridgy, um, forty to fifty five dollars an hour permanent full time role company car vehicle in the title of the ad not in the body of it, but in the title. Otherwise you're one of 800 other ads that are on seek that they're going to scroll through. And unless you can really grab their attention with something, then it's no different to um, scrolling through Google, but you've just got to get their attention yeah, to then yeah, make them yeah, stop yeah. scrolling. So they apply for your job, not the other 700 or 800 that are out there. Right. And I think it's, it's a really good point. It's a bit like search results. If you're on the sort of third or fourth page, maybe even the second page, no matter how good your proposition, you're not going to be found. And so I think having that, that, yeah, that rate, that rate, you know, sort of hourly rate and those types of things is really important. And is it, it's yep. quite localized, I'd presume. So that, you know, the name it of the is. company even seems like a smart move to, there's no reason to hide it in this industry. So it seems like a, a, a really good approach. Especially now, I think um, because the the number of people who are actually applying, the, the numbers are quite low. It's not like you're dealing with, 100 applications per job like we used to where you don't really right. want them to know who you are because they'll ring you constantly uh, and you don't want 100 people ringing you which is generally why people then go to an agency it's like you take care yes. of the back end of that sort of stuff kent we don't want to um whereas now it's it's not quite so bad having said that in things like um electrical that's still probably uh the number one requested trade we put an ad up three weeks ago and we had 165 applications so oh, wow. what's, yeah, the, what's the hardest um, what's the just out of interest for anyone that's listening and, and maybe you know there, there's electricians who probably like can see that what's the hardest one to hire for at the moment uh, the hardest apprentice yeah uh, i reckon there's probably three uh, i reckon i mentioned roofers before apprentice roofers yeah. uh concreters uh and brickies they're probably yeah. the ones that that are the hardest to find uh, and, and even from an agency point of view, there's something that we tend to shy away from these days because we know that it's going to be a struggle if we can't, uh, or I shouldn't say we can't fill an apprentice carpenter job, but if we're finding it harder to fill an apprentice carpenter job now to try and find a, um, a concreter or a bricklayer, um, they've been in demand for years anyway. Like that's yeah, nothing yeah. new, um, but not it's, no, it's, it's even worse now. And then when you, once you've hired someone, there's any advice, one of the big things that's really important, I think, if there is a talent shortage is, you know, we have it in, the, in our space, is the sort of interview experience and what that looks like when you meet with someone. Any recommendations around how that works? Obviously, when there's huge demand for a job, it's a bit different. You might meet someone and whoever you like first, you might hire them. But, you know, when you're, when you're sort of fighting for talent, if they're meeting three electricians down the road, how do you approach that? What's your advice to people listening around, around that interview process? Uh, about the sort of things that they ask or yeah just the general experience right of, of how they manage that 
because you're managing I think, the first first bit, yeah. Yeah, we are, we are. And I suppose by the time they get through to our clients, then there's already uh, some knowledge around who they are and what they do, yeah. uh, because we'll obviously brief them on that uh, before they go there. So I think by the time they go through to one of our clients, it's more a case of um, working out whether they're a cultural fit more than anything. Yeah. Can they ante up and, and actually do, uh, or at least sound like they can do what they can do uh, as far as their resume is concerned. Um, and then also then just, it's more about um, not just their background as far as their trade is concerned, but what's their current situation? What's their family life like? Um, you know, why are they looking for a change? Uh, what is it they're looking for um, in their career and what the future then looks like? And also, what do you do on weekends? You know, what is it that that um, keeps you busy and uh, your hobbies yeah, and your interests, yeah. those sorts of things? Uh, and we we do that with apprentices uh, because we I often use the example that uh, there's no point in us uh, looking for an apprentice carpenter that's a gamer when all the other guys are out um, fishing and forward driving on weekends, because ultimately at the end of the day they're going to have nothing to talk about. There's there's going to be um, no connect as far as um, when they're in the in the workplace. So um, they're the kind of things that we're trying to extract out of people. Uh, it's not so much skills based. It's more about getting them talking because the more that they can talk rather than you talk, the more you'll get to know them. And we're trying to find out, have we got a, a, a good candidate in front of us here? Or are they really somebody that's just ticking a box for whatever reason? And they're really not that interested anyway. So right. it's, yeah, it's more about that, that home life is, is more what we're trying to explore, to be honest. Yeah, and it seems like one of the things that always seems to come through, um, apart from cultural fit, is just level of enthusiasm and, you know, finding someone who actually really wants to be there versus someone who's just looking for that potential paycheck and thinks it's the right right job to do, but doesn't necessarily have their heart in it, because that can be, you know, again, roofing is one of the extreme examples, but even in other jobs, you can find out quite early on, you just wasted a ton of time and money bringing someone in and potentially training them, and then they leave after six months. And so, and do, do you look at sort of retention of apprentices and stuff over time? How does that, has that trended? Um, in a certain direction do you think that companies are getting better at that in terms of their ability to bring people on and keep them in the company yeah it's interesting i went to a uh, construction skills queensland function only last week here in brisbane and the statistics still sit at around uh, 55 percent completion rate uh, around apprentices which is still not great yeah um, and and the typical is um, most of the stats are based within the first um, three months the first quarter is when um, the highest dropout rate happens. Uh, and, and from my perspective, to be honest, I think a lot of the reason that that does is it's, it's not hiring the right person. Well, the right. process that they may have gone through uh, is um, it's too brief. Uh, and like you said earlier, it, was, it could be a case of, well, they're the first one that rocked up, so they're going to offer them the job. It's not always the best way to go. And I think that's why a lot then drop out. And again, I think some, they're just, they're yeah. trying, they're trying the trade, but they're trying it through an employer, not through a course. So um, they, they will literally, as you said, within the first week, they'll think, oh, I wasn't used to getting up this early or I didn't realize I was going to be a plumber and I had to dig holes. So they, they will then move on. Um, right. Whereas again, I think if there's a bit more invested in that upfront process, then the statistics are way better. Um, and I'll give you an example. I've got a client uh, here in Brisbane. They're in the horticulture industry. Uh, they're the biggest client that we have. They've got about 65 staff. And I know last year we placed 18 people with, um, with that company and only two of them fell over. So 16 staff still there. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a, quite a, an incredible stat. Uh, but they focus really heavily on the upfront recruitment process. They put in that time and effort 
Um, and in doing so, they're getting a way better result coming out the back yeah, end. It's, yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I think that's the, it's great advice. It's that sort of hiring process up front. It's the onboarding, you know, what do you do when you bring them in and make sure they don't sort of rock up on day four or five and go, oh, actually, you know, just go and do that thing over there. You give them a little bit of attention. And that's the thing I think is quite often quite hard for trades companies. And it's not a new, I don't think it's a trade specific problem. We, we encounter it's exactly not. the same things where we hire someone who's worked at a certain type of company they've got the right skill set so you know someone goes oh great they've got all the things we need let's hire them and actually within three months they're like this is not what i wanted because they were used to a completely different type of company and you probably yep. can find that stuff out if you dig a bit deeper a bit earlier um, true and you don't and it doesn't need to be through an agency like you can you can do that if you if you're running your yeah. own ads you can do that yourself but you've got to have quite a structured process in doing it and and um look i had a guy uh last week in melbourne looking for an apprentice carpenter. Um, we always have a condition around uh, when they interview our apprentices that they need to interview them face-to-face. No phone interviews. No, yep, okay, if you think this guy looks all right, then we'll put him on anyway without right. even talking to him. And I had a client, a returning client last week. That's exactly what they did. They did a phone interview, not a face-to-face. They got him in on the first day. He lasted the first day, never came back. So I looked at that and I went, Shane, you need to follow the process. There's Good a reason process. that we do it. There's a reason yeah. that we do it. We're not new at this. Um, we've been doing it for a long, long time. Um, and he said, yep, okay, Ken, I, I get it. Yep, try to circumvent yeah. the system and it just proved that it doesn't work. So you need to invest that time. So don't take a phone call and go, yeah, all right, mate, you sound good. I'll see you 6 a.m. tomorrow. Get him in 6 a.m. tomorrow and have a conversation with him first or her. Um, have yeah. that conversation first. Um, see if you feel as though it's going to be a fit. And obviously if it is, then move forward. But if you're a little bit like, mm, not too sure if this is the right one, keep looking, keep looking. Yeah, I think the gut feel test, and it's sort of, you don't want to be 100%. too much intuition-based, but I think if you have a, my sense of it with hiring, if I have a doubt is the way I think about it, uh, any yep. doubt, no matter how small, I generally yep. think, okay, I'm not going to hire them. No matter how desperate yep. you are for that person in that role, because, you know, whenever I have had a doubt over the years, um, usually it's not worked out well. Oh, sometimes my team, they'll come to me and they'll say, hey, Kent, look, you know, we've interviewed such and such, and uh, do you think that uh, we should put them forward? And I'm like, the fact that you've actually asked me the question already yes, answers the yes. question. Is that, that's the it's doubt. as simple yep. as that. If you have doubt there, <laughs> move on. And, and even in times like now where, you know, sometimes we wouldn't look at particular candidates, um, we still have to pass up some because we're still like, no, if we still feel like it's not the right one, then, um, you know, that might even cost us business, you know, with some of our clients, but we don't want to take the risk. There's reputation yeah. behind it as well. Um, so again, if there's any doubt whatsoever, just pass them over and keep the hunt going. Well, it's an expensive mistake because you've got the initial investment be. to bring them on board and then you're sort of going to spend time training them. And if that lasts for, if it's a day, it's probably lucky. If it goes on for three or four months and then suddenly yep. they're not the right person, they haven't added a huge amount of value, you've just wasted three or four months. So, yeah. And Correct. then, um, you know, for people that are thinking about salaries and all those types of things, you mentioned it earlier, what's the right way to approach, you know, apprentice salaries and what, what their pay range should be? How do you approach that? Apprentices are probably a little different. I mean, they're generally governed by the award um, as opposed to trades because trades, if you try to pay somebody the award wage, you'll never find one. They, uh, they won't work for an award wage, but apprentices are a little bit different. Um, I know that, again, that client that I talk about in Brisbane, uh, the horticulture business, uh, their business, they, they will pay well above award wage for an apprentice because they want right. good people on their team that are going to stay. And I've got others. If it says that we've got to pay them $11.50 an hour, they'll pay them $11.50 an hour. Right. So um, I think in the current market, uh, I think companies are starting to rethink that. 
because they're starting to look at it and go, well, if I can't attract talent um, in the first place, if I, if I can eventually find one, then I'm going to have to ante up and I'm going to have to pay more. And right. I think that goes, whether it's apprentices or whether that's uh, trades in general, that's the market at the moment. So obviously yeah. the, the award gives you a, a guide as to obviously the minimum you've got to pay. But I think it's also, you've got to look around in industry and understand within your own industry, what is the norm now? Uh, right. and, and I think that base rate, um, I mean, if you're getting a junior straight out of school at 17 years old and they're coming into the trade, they're probably not going to query it. They're going to be happy because they've actually got their apprenticeship and they're not yep. going to quibble over the pay. If you've got a you know 25-year-old um, transitioning into a new career and they've been used to earning $35 an hour in their particular industry, to get them to drop down to 18 to 20 dollars an hour as a mature age apprentice is probably a bit of a stretch so they're the kind of guys that you might have to look at girls once again that um, you might have to look at and go okay well, we need to pay more because we're also going to get more value out of them as well yeah i think it's and it feels a bit like supply supply costs and all these all these things that happen at the moment it seems like a constant uh, sort of reevaluation of, of where you need yep. to be because there is a you know there's a lack of supply huge demand um, there is. It's, it's driving some of this problem. Then in terms of process, you mentioned sort of the paperwork side of things up yep. front. Any advice in terms of what people need to think about if they're thinking about if they're, you know, trade business, maybe they're two, three people and thinking, right, it's time for us to bring in our first apprentice. I don't really know about the government schemes, all those things. What's your, yep. what's the best way to think about that stuff? Look, I suppose your first point of call is a apprentice support network, an ASIN as it's known in industry. And it's getting in contact with those guys, which they're contracted by uh, the federal government to come in and do the uh, paperwork in, in, indenture being the old word, uh, indenture yep. your apprentice. So they're the first port of call. Um, and I recommend uh, do that straight away. And the reason that I say that is uh, a couple of things. A little Johnny or Jane have come into their uh, their apprenticeship now, and they kind of want to know that they've actually got an apprenticeship. It's not just oh well, I'm he here on a casual basis, and who knows whether I'm actually going to get taken on as an apprentice or not. Right. Whereas if they can yeah. see that you've gone through the official channels, then they'll stop looking, because if you don't, yeah. then and they get the hint that they're maybe not going to get signed in, they'll continue looking elsewhere. And the moment there's such a demand that they'll they'll pick up another position, no problems. So, um, but the other thing that I I also talk to our clients about is uh, the immediacy of doing it is based around their wages. So, because if you put an apprentice on and uh, you then say, oh look, you know, we'll put somebody on for a, a three month trial and see how they go, and then at the end of the three months we'll make the decision as to whether we sign them up. If you've paid them an apprentice wage within those first three months and there's been no contract put in place, then, and the apprentice doesn't work out and they leave, whether you let them go or if they leave themselves, they can come back at you for casual rates. So, right. and they can go to fair work and that can cost you a lot of money. Um, whereas if you get in contact with the apprentice support network from essentially from day one, or even at the end of the first week, then uh, you, and, and the intent is there, then you're covered as far as the wage is concerned. So, uh, and that's the biggest draw card that I use for that urgency on getting them signed in. It takes about an hour of your time to get it done. And it's an hour right. that can save you thousands if things go sideways. So, yeah. in, and I had to go on the Gold Coast probably three years ago, um, another Shane, and he, he went down that track, put him on for a three-month trial. Um, both of his apprentices left. Both of them went to fur work office. I think in the end, it cost him around about $7,000 per apprentice. Wow. Big money. And all he needed to do was sit down with them for an hour and sign them into a contract. Yeah. 
big yeah, mistake. That's big mistake. Great advice. One hour's work. Yeah, I think that's the that initial investment. Even if you're just thinking about doing it, it's worth uh, going down that path. Yep. And if it doesn't work, then no harm, no foul. Sign the cancellation yeah, sure. and it's and and move on. Um, but it's it's more of an insurance policy to get it done upfront. And then you know we talked about. I guess the the sort of um, demand for talent and the the shift over the last few years, which uh, I think we've seen certainly during COVID and post COVID. Any other trends you're observing in the apprenticeship space that sort of positive or negative? Um, well, as I mentioned earlier, I think the mature age apprentice side of things. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's uh, if anybody was out there and they were considering uh, changing trades or change of career, then and they they are mature age, so basically 21 years and over then now's the time. Uh, I think it's an ideal opportunity uh, because, again, the, the, the junior aspect, uh, which a lot of our clients, that's what they're generally looking for, um, they are very, very scarce. Uh, and I've, I've right. had a conversation with a couple of mature age last week, and I said, look, going back three years ago, I probably wouldn't have been having the conversation with them, whereas now I am because we can't find the juniors. They're, they're, um, uh, the demand is there for them, but the supply is certainly not there for them at the moment. That'll probably change in the next few months when, the, uh, when they start coming out of um, school, out of year 11 and 12. So yeah. hopefully that will, that will at least have a bit of a spike. Um, but yeah, I think that that mature age, but also the opportunity of then switching trades um, is probably, again, now is a, an ideal opportunity for anybody out there that's wanting to, to actually start having a look at that. And where are they, um, those mature sort of age, people who've done another job for a while, where are they? I, mean, I met someone recently who used to be a dentist, as an example. Yeah, right. She was a de dental nurse and became an electrician. I think it was an electrician, maybe a plumber, actually. Anyway, um, yeah, what, what, are they, what are they generally leaving? What's driving that, do you think? Uh, I think it's, it's uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's a midlife crisis, but they finally get to a point in their life where it's like, I've always wanted to do a trade. And right. I've never gone down that path. Uh, and they've always had a keen interest in a particular trade. I find that they are generally quite specific about what it is that they want to apply for. Um, and I've had some that have come from uh, high-end um, sales roles, for instance, yeah. uh, from some of them from within tool companies. Some of them have uh, worked in um, you know, uh, BDM roles for, uh, for tool companies as well. And I think they're lacking the satisfaction in what they're doing. And they've, they've finally realized that actually, I really do want to go back and I do want to complete a trade. I think that they can, they can see that for themselves, it's going to serve themselves um, to be better for their future. And I think there are a number that we've spoken to recently that have put themselves in a financial position where they can go back and do it. So they've got a partner that's working, um, they've got money in the bank. And so, you know, if they're having to take that wage cut, which a lot of them do, and some of them yeah. it's quite significant, now is the ideal opportunity or the ideal time for them to do that because they are set up ready to go. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, now it's time to focus on me and what it is that I really want to do, not necessarily what I've fallen into and, and, and have had a, as a career for the last 15 years. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. I think I hear that. Mm. You hear that a lot. Um, and then Ken, you know, you, you've got a company that does it and you, you're covering Australia and um, presumably your main focus is Australia. How do people get, how do people get hold of you? Um, how yeah. Do yeah, so there's a number of ways, obviously, through our website, uh, apprenticerecruit.com.au, uh, also through our 1300 number, um, 1300 uh, You can email me direct, kent at apprenticerecruit.com.au. Um, you can also find us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we're across all of the uh, major platforms. 
Um, and um, I, I suppose I, I, uh, I haven't done a lot of YouTube this year, but uh, we have been quite active on YouTube and also through our uh, podcasts. Uh, something that I need to go back to. We've been too busy head down, bum up, trying to find people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, through the YouTube channel, uh, a lot of it is based around uh, educating about the system, about how it works. A lot of what we've spoken about today, to be honest, about you know how yeah. to interview a candidate, how to advertise, etc. Um, we we cover that uh, a lot of that on our YouTube channel too. Yeah, I think I, I think it's worth um, w- whether someone wants to work with with your company or not. I think it's uh, going to a YouTube channel will be hugely valuable because I think for a lot of people, not knowing the ins and outs of schemes and how to do it actually is probably sort of intimidates people and puts them off because it can be a bit of a bit of a it minefield. It's a, so it's a minefield, yeah. 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 yeah, and we've got a video specifically to that, which is the who's who in the zoo. Uh, because again, people just get so many of the uh, different stakeholders that are in this space right. confused uh, that we break down exactly who does what. So yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. great. Last couple of questions. So yeah. you're working with lots of trades. If you weren't in recruitment, um, what trade would you what trade would you pick? Uh, I've always had a really keen interest in. Uh, it's actually in the mechanical side of things, but it's an auto um, auto sparky. That's what I considered doing when I was coming out of school. And that's what I still actually have quite an interest in these days too. Oh, you'd be hiring yourself into a... <laughs> I went into an apprenticeship. Into a mature, mature apprentice, yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> yep. Um, and then, you know, any, there might, we might have some people, we have some you know, young people obviously listen to this podcast, hopefully, and are thinking about getting into the trades. Yep. Any advice? What would be your number one piece of advice for an apprentice or someone about to embark um, on that, Jamie? I'd suggest there's two things. I'd suggest uh, go and do a, uh, whether it be a certificate one in construction or a cert two in electro or a cert two in plumbing, go and do a pre-voc because it'll at least count towards your apprenticeship anyway. And it is your opportunity to find out whether it's the right trade for you. Um, And that way, and you don't burn employers by doing it that way. And the other is there's a website that I refer people to, uh, which is a skills road website. And uh, you can actually go through and do a very brief psychometric test on there. And it basically spits out the industries that your personality may suit better. So it gives you an idea on, um, yeah, a certain, certain trades that, um, that would suit. So that's, I think it's, it's a really handy tool to know what it is you're chasing in the first place. Because yeah. if you don't yeah. have that target, it makes it very, very hard. And you'll job hop. You'll, yeah, um, which again, from our point of view as an agency, we don't want that. We want somebody who knows yeah. that they're, um, they know what they want to do. So they're, they're the uh, two options that I normally push people towards um, to try and help make that decision. Well, and it's, I think we sometimes forget, um, you know, as we get older, that when you're that age, actually, it's, you've got no idea what you want to do in some Correct. instances. So anything yep. that can help narrow that funnel is, is useful. Yep. That's great. That's really, really yep. great advice. And then biggest myth about apprenticeships. I mean, there's lots that I hear. Uh, what's the biggest do you think? Biggest myth about apprenticeships. I think the biggest myth about apprentice electricians is electricians get paid the most. <laughs> That's we get that all the time. Um, but about apprenticeships themselves, oh, myths. I don't know if I too. I don't know if I know too many myths around apprenticeships. To be honest, uh, it's more about some of the trades themselves. So yes. Um, yeah, yeah. There is. I can imagine you're speaking to apprentices who have a certain perception of an industry that's not not close to reality. Yes. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes we have to sort of um, dispel that. Uh, and and I think even with the mature age ones, they always want to be in a, a mature age apprentice. Sparky. Why yep. do you want to do that? Well, they get paid more money. Well, we're recruiting across a range of trades, and the 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 gap there in what a, a chippy or a plumber or a Sparky earns when they're working for somebody else probably a five to ten k difference at 
at most. Um, different if they're operating their own business. Um, but um, that's the biggest myth that we try and dispel is that yeah. for some reason, they seem to think that the spikies are shelling out the cash. And yeah. um, it's not our experience. Yeah, interesting. Cool. Mm. And then anyone else you think we should speak to next that you come across? Um, well, actually, for those that are wanting to actually engage with uh, an apprentice or don't really know the whole system maybe somebody from one of the apprentice support networks yeah. um, to have them come on board and they can maybe be a bit more specific about some of the paperwork that is involved maybe again dispel some of the myths around that about how sometimes how difficult that might be um, they can also talk to you about the government programs and what's involved with those what sort of financial incentives are out there but somebody i think from within that space uh, could tie in quite well um, mainly for those that yeah. are here in australia um, but that could uh, tie in quite well um, to, again, at least provide a bit more education around that area. Yeah, cool. Great. Kent, this is, re this is really fantastic. Really great cool. practical advice. And if anyone that's listening that hasn't gone down this path, this would be really useful. I might even encourage them to, to think it through because I think often people are put off by the thought of more paperwork, mm. uh, you know, more process and bureaucracy, frank frankly, puts people off. So really great advice. Really appreciate you joining the show and um, best of luck. I hope things... Uh, pick up obviously i know it's been demanding trying to find find great people so uh, yep. keep up the great work and uh, anyone listening continues. yeah it will do of course um and anyone else that's listening hopefully that was useful and if you've sort of know anyone you've got strong opinions yourself about um areas of the trade um hit us up we'll delight to have you on the podcast um until then we'll speak to you next time cheers cheers Thanks, Ken. Michael. appreciate it thank you and that brings us to the end of this episode behind the tools is brought to you by tradeify job management software for your trade business if you enjoyed the podcast, let us know by leaving a review and be sure to tell your mates about it. Email behindthetools at tradeifyhq.com if you or someone you know would be keen to join the show as a guest.